Is there a company that you passed on that you both regret? <laughs> so that's the uh, the VCs call this their their shadow portfolio yeah. of, and those are the most painful investments. Shadow right? portfolio. Shadow yeah. portfolio. Ooh, I wonder whose shadow portfolios we're a part of. <laughs> I'm sure many people. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it. From the good stuff like hiring and growing a team. To the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Anu Dougal and Sutian Dong, partners at Female Founders Fund. Anu is a serial entrepreneur at age 25. She started India's first ever wine bar, and later she co-founded the e-commerce company Exclusively.in, which she sold in 2012. Sutian built her career in sales and marketing, then moved to First Mark Capital, an early stage venture fund where she became an investor. In 2014, Anu started Female Founders Fund, or F-Cubed, I like that, to invest in early-stage female-founded tech companies. A couple years later, Sutian came on board as a partner, and now their portfolio includes some of your favorite companies like Zola, Thrive Global, Rent the Runway, and more. The rest is history that we're going to hear about. So welcome to the couch. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. We're very excited. This because... is fun to have two versus two. Yeah, I like <laughs> this. Um, so we're going to start uh, with Anu. Can you skim your resume for us? Absolutely. Um, so first of all, thanks. Thanks again for having us. So as you mentioned, um, prior to starting the fund, I had co-founded a company called Exclusively In, which was based in India. And um, we basically think of it as guilt for Indian products. We raised about $20 million in funding and eventually were acquired. And that was really my first foray into tech entrepreneurship, which I loved. Um, prior to that, I had gone to business school in London and started off the entrepreneurial journey, um, actually, as you mentioned, you know, opening India's first wine bar, which... That is so cool. Yeah. You I were mean, 25? Was, yeah, I was. And I didn't know anything about wine, and I'd never lived in India. So oh, it was wow. a full-on immersive experience in every sense of the word. What isn't on your resume that we should know about you professionally? <laughs> Um, so I actually spent um, six months at a cooking school in France. Oh, my gosh. That is my dream. It was amazing. The best six months of my life. What do you make? That's really good. So the cooking school was in Burgundy. And the specialty of Burgundy is very traditional French food. So the first thing I learned how to make was uh, poulet roti or uh, roast chicken. I think we have to become best friends so you can cook <laughs> yes. <for> dinner. <laughs> we would enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, Sutian, same questions for you. Skim your resume for us. Sure. So as you mentioned, um, I started my career in sales and marketing at uh, a shop near called Market Factory, which was uh, actually a first mark capital portfolio company. I, I then moved and, and took a little bit of a, a career detour into, into fashion and became director of marketing of a fashion house in New York called Nora Soul Ferrari. Uh, I love consuming fashion. Uh, I continue to love consuming fashion, but sort of decided that the uh, production of fashion wasn't where I wanted to establish a long-term career. And uh, the uh, opportunity came up to join Firstmark at a time when Firstmark was was just getting started and had put uh, an early stake in the ground. During my time there, I had seen more and more female founders come through my door pitching ideas that I thought were really interesting. And these women had 
uh, domain expertise. They had very unique points of view about the world, and they had real aspirations to build the next billion-dollar, billion-dollar-plus company. And I didn't see a lot of them get funded because, and as you both know, when, when it comes to funding, you don't raise your Series A round before you raise a Series Seed. And so they're having, um, they're having more trouble than the average entrepreneur, I think, raising their first round, especially their first round of institutional financing. And so when Anu and I met in 2015 and she shared what she was doing with Female Founders Fund, I was like, oh, my God, that makes a ton of sense, right? That's where the opportunity from a venture standpoint is. And uh, I joined her, I guess now it's one, two, two, two and a half years ago. And, and as you said, the rest is history. I love how you put it that you love consuming fashion. That is like the, the <laughs> best thing. I should start saying that. I'm going through my receipts at the end of the month. It's it all in the name sound. of a love of consuming fashion. consumption. Yeah. So what are your jobs entail? How do you, we get this, we get asked all the time, like, how do you divide and conquer? So how do you guys divide and conquer? So I think um, when you break down the way that a venture fund works, particularly one that is at the early stages, so our, the stage at which we're at is is called a, a micro fund. So we, um, we have three kind of key responsibilities. So we raise capital. Um, and very similar to you guys, you know, have to go out and pitch investors, maintain relationships. We deploy capital, so we invest in companies. And then thirdly, we maintain and help support those portfolio companies. So I would say that when we're in a fundraising cycle, um, which tends to be, you know, very, very often, <laughs> um, I, I spend more of my time on that and a little bit less time on the the other two aspects of both sourcing as well as supporting. Um, and Sutian kind of yeah. takes the lead there um, as during the fundraising process. Yeah. And then when we're not, I think we've been really fortunate to just have developed a very natural working relationship. And it's really around, well, what needs to be done that given day, week, month, quarter, and who has the bandwidth to do it. And and I'll add one more thing, which is we, you know, as a fund, ever since we we started, we've had a really big emphasis on, on building a community and building a network. We're going to talk all about that. Later. Oh, amazing. <laughs> uh, and, and so that's where we spend more time, I'd say, than the average VC because we just see it pay off not just in the short term but but in the long term um, in supporting that ecosystem of female founders. What was the last disagreement the two of you had? We disagree on things, like little things. We're like, oh, what, what are we going to eat for lunch? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I would say that uh, between the two of us, um, you know, as as investors, we have somewhat different perspectives, which I think also very much come from our personalities. So um, my background, as you know, is, is definitely more as an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, you have to be incredibly optimistic and you really see the best in a lot. Um, and you learn kind of the hard stuff later. And so, you know, on any given week or month, I would say that, you know, I'll meet a company and get really excited and look at Sutan and I'll be like, I know you're going to tell me exactly why this is not going to work. <laughs> so um, so yeah. that's, you know, to answer your question broadly. So on that note, you guys come from both sides of fundraising. So you've been the entrepreneur and you've been on the investor side. And one of the big questions that we get asked from our audience all the time is how does fundraising work? 
Like what are the ins and outs, especially for people that have an idea and think about raising money? So can you just kind of, for our audience listening, walk us through what does a fundraise mean um, aside from just the worst six months of your life? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's that's a great question. And I think that the first couple of things an entrepreneur should, should think about is well, who should I go out and ask for advice, right? Versus going out and approaching a fundraise as as asking for money. There's there's a um, a saying in venture which is, hey, if you if you want money, ask for advice, and if you want advice, ask for money. And and it's very very true. The first step in going out to fundraise is to talk to people that you trust, who may be angel investors, who may be entrepreneurs who've fundraised before, and ask them, hey, this is what my business looks like. This is where I think I can take it. What do you think I should do? Or what would you do if you're in my shoes? And that will affect, I think, a lot of the uh, down downstream decisions that you make around what a fundraising process will look like. Anna, Having now been on both sides of this, what do you think is harder, raising money as an entrepreneur or raising money as a fund? Um, so I, to answer that question, will actually go back to raising the first fund. Um, and, you know, many first-time fund managers will, will tell you this, that um, it's an incredibly hard process. And, you know, had over 700 meetings, 70 investors in that first fund. And I think the the really tricky part is that you're not selling a product. You're you're actually asking someone to believe in your ability to both be able to source great deal flow and pick great deals. And that's a very, um, you know, it's, it's a very intangible product. And so I would say that, you know, when you think about raising a first fund, it's incredibly hard. I think people who come from the venture industry and have a track record, it's it's a lot easier. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've also, we've, we've both experienced so many fundraises that our founders have gone through where, you know, they have traction and it could be that the market is off. It could be that they didn't connect with the right investors. So um, I think you have to have a lot of resilience and, um, and recognize you're going to get rejected a lot. Is there anything that you've learned from being on the other side now about the way you used to pitch before that you would change? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that um, and and actually, you know, we're constantly learning, right, because we continue to pitch. And um, and so I, I would say that making sure that you're talking to the right investor, um, that that investor is actively looking at the space that you're in or is still writing checks. Um, that, that's, I think, something that, you know, entrepreneurs often don't think about. And, and even for us as investors, when we pitch, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, I would say, secondly, getting a warm intro um, from another entrepreneur, or in our case, another fund manager is incredibly important. You can still raise money without doing that, but it, I think it counts for a lot. And investors will tell you the same thing. Um, and then I would say third, um, you know, when you think about, you know, who you're pitching and what your story is, I think that authenticity is incredibly important and making sure that it's woven into your story is also key. I think sometimes you think, well, I just want to sell the numbers, but investors actually want to hear what drives you and what inspires you. Suchan, I'm curious, you know, a lot of our, we've talked a lot on this podcast about cold emailing and um, the, you know, how to build a network if you're, if you don't, if you're not starting with one. And so obviously, as you just said, um, there's, you know, having a warm intro goes a long way. So Suchian, how do you think about when you do get kind of cold emails or cold pitches, what are the ones that you pay attention to versus the ones that you automatically pass on? 
Yeah, so we have actually invested in companies where uh, the introduction came in cold, inbound from a LinkedIn message, for example. Do you respond to LinkedIn messages? Uh, if it is a good LinkedIn message, <laughs> and I can talk more about that. And and so I think the difference between an okay cold email and a really good cold email that catches your attention is showing that you've done the research of why you're reaching out to that specific person. Uh, hey, I see that you invest in, uh, you've done a lot of investments in the e-commerce space and you invest at the seed stage and you tweeted recently about your excitement about XYZ industry. Hey, I'm doing something in that space and so that's why I thought I'd reach out. I think that shows a level of thoughtfulness and a level of intention that's very different than a, you know, a really form Dear sir, email, which I can tell you we've both gotten so many of those. Like, dear sir. Yeah. Dear hiring manager. Dear sir, the female yeah. founders. Yes, or, exactly. or, or addressing <laughs> us it like reversely. Yeah. Yes. So so things like that obviously show that you're you're sort of spraying and praying, right? And the the emails that catch our attention are the really are the ones that are thoughtful and personalized and show that the entrepreneur has done her diligence in reaching out to us specifically versus reaching out to all seed fund managers. So what makes you say yes to a company? And I know that's a broad question, and I'm guessing that you two have different things that make you say yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, you know, we, we typically, when we make an investment, both of us will reach the same point from different perspectives. Um, I think that what what we invest in, um, you know, if you kind of put it, pull everything else away, is is really just people. Um, so from a fund strategy perspective, we're very early, and I would say, you know, close to fifty percent of our investments are actually pre-launch. So that really means you're investing in people. Um, and so when you think about who that founder is or that founding team. A lot of it is, again, going back to the point around what's inspiring you. Why are you building this business? Why are you passionate about it? I would say resilience is also something we look for. This journey is incredibly hard. And so what are examples in your past that reflect the ability to really be able to keep going when things are challenging? And third, I would say, you know, depending on what type of business you have, um, you have to be a great salesperson. So from day one, you're selling to investors, you're selling to potential employees, to advisors, and to your customers. And if you can't convince people of what you're building and why it's special, it's going to be incredibly challenging. Is there a company that you passed on that you both regret? <laughs> so that's the, uh, the VCs call this their their shadow portfolio, yeah. of and those are the most painful investments. Shadow right? portfolio. Shadow portfolio. Ooh, I wonder whose shadow portfolios we're a part of. <laughs> I'm sure we many know people. some of them. Have well, some of them have tweeted, yeah. but I'd like more of them to tweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's you the, the companies, right? That you you saw, you wish you had invested, and you didn't for any number of reasons, and now they're they're killing it. And those those missed opportunities are the most painful ones. And I think for us, um, certain. Certainly in New York, uh, a company that comes to mind is is the Wing. Right, um, we we had we had met Audrey very early on in her process. Audrey is the founder, one of the founders of the Wing. One of the founders of the Wing, uh, very early on in her process, and we we ended up not investing. And now they're they're doing something really really interesting and uh, significant, not just in reimagining what women's social and professional networking spaces look like, but what women's communities look like and how that can be uh, manifested online versus just via an in-person experience. And I think the brand is incredibly strong. And it's something that we 
um, I think the lesson learned there for us is we should really things change right in a in a company, especially when you're early. Like nothing stays the same because you're learning all the time. But the thing that oftentimes doesn't change are the founders. And so we should really, really be focusing, just as a new mention, on who the team is, like why we think they're going to be successful, what they're figuring out and what they're going to figure out and how they are thinking about augmenting their skill set. And if we use that lens, right, we're just investing in, in people who are incredible, incredible entrepreneurs. Anu, what is a company that you regret passing on? So I would say um, one that I um, have been watching closely is Brandless. Um, so I think Tina is a great entrepreneur. I chatted with her. Tina Sharkey is Tina the Sharkey, founder, yeah, the founder of, Brandless. of Brandless. And I think that um, when we chatted with her, she was just raising a large amount of kind of initial capital. And for us as a seed fund, um, you know, it's challenging to participate in these larger um, seed rounds. And I think that, you know, her vision for what this could be um, has continued to amaze me and and the pace of of growth has been incredibly exciting. I think she had a very good understanding of what the consumer was looking for and uh, was audacious. You know, she recently raised a huge round from SoftBank and she wants to build a billion dollar company. And that for me is, is really inspiring and exciting. Guess what's coming up? Your birthday. Yes, I knew oh I knew God. that you were going to think about yourself. <laughs> oh. But it's also tax season. It is. Which is on my birthday. Blah, and, blah, blah. and sometimes I spend my tax refund on buying you a gift. Oh, thanks. I hope you get a big one this year. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> speaking of taxes, let's talk about what to do with that money, which is investing it. Meet Robinhood. It is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. My favorite part about Robinhood is that it's a non-intimidating way for stock market newbies to invest for the first time, confidently because it's actually really easy to use. There's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. Robinhood charges no commission fees, so really embrace that that free life. Uh, so Robinhood is now giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. All you have to do is sign up at skim.robinhood.com and that is skim.robinhood.com. I'm gonna switch gears a little bit, talk about community. So a major tenet of you guys is your focus on community building and you're known, especially in New York, as hosting dozens of events every year for founders in your portfolio. Talk to us about why and how that became a focus for you guys. Sure. So, um, so you know, as I mentioned, I'm an operator, and I think that um, when when the fund started for me, it was, you know, what female founders want and need is not just capital, but also to be connected and to be a part of an ecosystem where they can um, also really learn from other female founders who are going through similar experiences. And you know, in 2014, 2013, there really wasn't much of an ecosystem that focused on female founders. You guys know this, and so the idea from day one was not just to create events that were for the fund portfolio, but also for the broader female founder ecosystem. And I would say that, you know, a, a lot of it was driven by knowledge. So getting people, getting founders access to CEOs they couldn't normally, or, um, you know, having office hours at Instagram where you can learn best practices, press dinners where you could engage with journalists. So the idea was, you know, how are we continuing to really drive and build 
on the entrepreneur's knowledge base and create connections that will enable them to grow faster. Why do you think that's so important specifically for female-funded companies? I think historically, or a couple things, right? Historically, there have been fewer female founders than there have been male founders, and that's changing at a very, very rapid pace. And I think New York leads the charge in uh, in the number of female founders who are starting companies and then going on to scale. Uh, I think some of it is is a function of time, right? That women, there were fewer women to begin with, and so they it, it took more time for them to develop these networks. But I think we're we're in in many, many ways making up for lost time right now, and that women, uh, female entrepreneurs are getting together either with events that we host or other people host uh, and really sharing best practices and knowledge and finding ways to partner and collaborate with each other. Uh, they're doing it on a very ad hoc basis. Um, and also what's what's been exciting for us to see in our, our position as, as VCs is that VC investors are, are getting into the, the mix as well, right? So there are over 300 women in VC in New York alone, and those women are – many of them are looking to invest in a more diverse portfolio. And so what – What's changed over the last five years especially is that um, this community piece uh, in New York has been a real focus for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs have been very intention around picking who they take money from, for example, uh, and then also picking who they partner with and making sure that um, their success in, in the way that they can benefits the success of other female entrepreneurs. One of the things that our community talks a lot about, and we've talked a little bit on the podcast previously about, is the importance of mentors and advisors and kind of building that network. What, how do people who are not coming in with a network, how would you tell them to find a mentor or how to build advisors for their company, whether it's a venture-sized company or not? So I would say um, for specifically for entrepreneurs um, who are kind of first time starting out, um, having a peer group of other entrepreneurs who are either at the same stage as you or one stage further is incredibly important. And um, what we've seen be be incre- incredibly impactful, excuse me, is um, is to actually just reach out to your network and to say that this is exactly what I'm looking for. Do you know an entrepreneur who's recently raised a Series A in the consumer space or a Series B in, you know, for example, the healthcare space? And you would actually be surprised that, you know, within your own community, there are people who are generous and will be helpful with those introductions. Um, And then I think secondly, LinkedIn. You know, I think that's an incredible. We, like Sutian said, you know, we've we've invested in companies through LinkedIn. We've taken intros through LinkedIn. So, um, so I think it's a great source of. So I actually have a question about networking on LinkedIn. Yeah, I personally don't respond to LinkedIn messages, especially when it. I would say very, very rarely. And if I, and one of the reasons I don't respond is because if people are looking to, let's say, work at the scam mm-hmm. or are looking for. Um, to get advice about their their company, I want to know that they have you know the the um, are able to pursue even just like figuring out how to get my email. It's mm-hmm. not that difficult. Yeah, please don't blind email me. But but uh, it's not that difficult, and I want to see that like they take the step to to do that. Um, so sometimes I feel like LinkedIn messaging can actually come off um, show like can, there there could be a lazy side to it. Uh, how how do you 
think about that? Is that just a weird bias that I have? Like, how do you think through that? I think it depends on um, the content of the LinkedIn message, to be quite honest. I think it's different than, again, your standard dear founder email. Uh, and, and for us, it's a little bit different because we're not um, we're, we're not uh, like a rapidly growing tech startup, for example, where there's different functions and uh, there's there's a recruiter at the skim, I'm sure, who's, who's handling a lot of these inbounds. Uh, and so I think people tend to email us or uh, and, and people sometimes email us and then also link to yeah. message us and then yeah. also <laughs> like message us on, on Instagram yeah. or something uh, to try to get our attention uh, just because there's so much noise in the market um, for entrepreneurs who are, who are out raising capital. Danielle, do you know what I do every Sunday? Watch TV in bed and order Seamless. Accurate and accurate, but I also do a face mask every Sunday. I actually have a new mask that I am obsessed with, and you will like it too because it is very healthy for you. Oh, tell me more. Yes, it is a company called BioClarity, which is known as a green skincare line. It is all organic, natural, uses plant-based products. They have like a three-step regimen that completely cleans your skin. Could not recommend it enough. And you all can uh, get healthier, more radiant skin too by going to bioclarity.com. And right now, for Skin from the Couch listeners, when you purchase a skincare routine, you will get a free clarifying mask with your order. That's a $25 value for free. But you need to enter the code SKIM at checkout. S-K-I-M-M. Go to bioclarity.com and get your free clarifying mask when you purchase a routine and use the code SKIM, S-K-I-M-M, at checkout. So we've got one more segment. It's our favorite. It's the lightning round. So we're going to ask questions and you answer as fast as you can. And we're going to start with Anu and then go to Sutian. All right, you're <laughs> okay, ready. I'm ready. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Uh, I thought I was going to be the CIA. Ooh. Oh, we, well, why? <laughs> because I'm obsessed with everything related to spies. Homeland's my favorite TV show. Yes. Um, I, you know, Sutian knows this. Were you uh, really in cooking school? I was really in uh, cooking school. Okay. <laughs> okay, Sutian. I thought I was going to be a vet. Oh. Oh. How many animals do you have now? Zero. Okay. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> College major. International relations. Finance. Anu, first job. McKinsey. Sutian. Bartender. Anu, worst job. Um, worst job was bartender, actually. <laughs> Mm. I I made uh, iced tea drinks for a summer in <laughs> high school. Very specific yes. type of drink. Yes. <laughs> Worst professional mistake you've ever made? Uh, not following up on um, on email introductions. Yeah, not saying I was going to do something and not doing it, and then trying to fix it last minute. First phone call when you get good news. Sutian, obviously. We call each other a lot. (laughs) First phone call when you get bad news. Same. (laughs) When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Um, I would say for the fund, we negotiate all the time with with founders. So probably a month ago. Yeah, like late December. One thing that we got asked very early on in our very first venture meeting before they agreed to take 
give us money um, for seed seed raise was to make sure that like our relationship was solid. So I would like you to answer the question that we had to answer, which is order lunch for the other person. Um, Chicken from Eva's um, two orders just in case I'm hungry for a snack (laughs) later in the afternoon. Eva's is great. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. It's very tasteless, but um, healthy. (laughs) But healthy. Healthy. So you feel good about the order. Tasteless. Uh, So Anu rotates through lunches. I know this. It's all on caviar. Um, Sometimes it's sushi, and then sometimes it's a halloumi salad. And then there's an occasional um, pizza, but that's once every um, month, month and a half, I'd say. (laughs) What's your go-to interview question? Um... Tell me about a professional challenge and how did you overcome it? I love asking the what questions you have for us mm-hmm. and hearing what comes out. Yeah, same. How do people know you're stressed? Uh, I drink more than one Diet Coke. That's <laughs> <laughs> super true. Uh, I, uh, I start not stringing words together properly. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. Um, what drives you? Changing the world and building a movement. Yeah, a desire to make a real difference. What is your shameless plug? We are building the largest and strongest movement to support female founders in the world. We have a t- ton of consumer-facing companies. So if you're getting married, use Zola. If you're into astrology, use CoStar. If you have kids, uh, sign up early for The Wonder. I, ha- I can go on forever. What's a company that our audience, my last question, what's a company that our audience might not know of yet, but you're really excited is in your portfolio? company that our audience may not know about yet would be Peanut. Um, it's a social network for modern motherhood. And um, it's growing rapidly, but if you're not a mom, you may not have heard of it yet. I like that name. All right. Well, Anu Sutian, thank you so much for coming to the couch, and congrats. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Before we go, we're going to tell you about a book that really means a lot to us. It's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. And if you've been listening to the podcast, this won't come as a surprise. We're introverts, and you might have noticed that it's something we have in common with a lot of leaders. So in the book, Cain tells the stories of introverts, people like Rosa Parks and Steve Wozniak, and she talks about how and why we should pay attention to introverts in the workplace. It's a book that really opened our eyes, and we think it'll open yours too. So check it out, Quiet by Susan Cain. Okay, that's it from Skim from the Couch. We'll see you back here next week.